You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Hey Red Door, you might be noticing that I'm preaching from a different location this morning. Uh, This whole week I've been feeling pretty under the weather, pretty sick, and so yesterday I got a COVID test, which was horrific, uh, but you should do it if you need to. And after that, drove straight home and been locked into isolation ever since then. And so here we are, preaching from isolation. John has been kind enough to drop off the recording gear. And so I'm keen to get into it. I need to be distracted uh, and I'm keen to talk about God this morning. And that's good because that's what our series is about, God. His aspects, his attributes, his character, his nature. We've been looking at different aspects of God over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We've looked at God being with us, of God being for us, of God being gentle. And last week we looked at God being in charge. Today we're going to look at what I think is one of the most important aspects of God's character, that God is trustworthy. And I think of all the aspects of God's character, of his nature, and we haven't, you know, we haven't exhausted them. There are plenty more than the five that we've looked at. Of all of them, I think one of the ones that we struggle with the most is that God is trustworthy. We know that God is trustworthy. We know that the Bible says that God is trustworthy. We know that God says he's trustworthy. In fact, we are even commanded to trust in the Lord, right? I think of Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him and he will make your path straight. We know this and yet doubt still remains. We pray prayers and wonder if God really hears them. We read the Bible and wonder if these promises are really for us. Our suffering makes us suspicious of God. Our unanswered prayers make us unsure whether he's really with us. Our pain makes us skeptical about whether he's really going to come through for us. As author Greg Morse says, we're so much like Lot's wife, always looking back. And our doubts rarely announce themselves fully fledged. They just start manifesting themselves. We sleep in a little more. We pray a little less. We read the word a little less. We schedule less time with Christians. We schedule more time with those who would distract us from walking with Jesus. We scroll through our lives to quieten that still small voice in the back of our mind saying, come back to me. Because it's not like God has done anything in particular to earn our distrust. Most of the time, there's nothing we can point to. It's just this, this voice that says, I'm not Sure. We live in a world where powers keep being found out. Those we've placed our trust in keep being found out. Hollywood has been found out. Politicians have been found out. The media have been found out. Our churches have been found out. We don't trust anybody anymore. And I wonder if that flies into us thinking, well, maybe God isn't trustworthy either. Maybe God is going to be found out too. We look around at the Christians around us that often look so little like Jesus. Their growth in Christ is so slow, so small. We look around at the world that seems so broken, so messed up, pandemic and all, and wonder, God, where are you? 
Are you really with us? Are you really for us? Why do you allow this? Even worse, we look at ourselves and wonder, God, what, what are you doing with me? Why, I, why can't I be free of this sin? Why can't I be free of this besetting sin? I've cried out to you. I've, I've prayed. I've fasted. I've called upon your name. Why does this sin so cling to me? And maybe you're like me and you find it even hard to trust that God likes you sometimes. You know that the Bible says that God loves us, but maybe he doesn't like us very much. Do you trust even the simplest lyric, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And make no mistake, Satan is in the midst of our doubts. He loves nothing more than to allow nominal Christians and those who worship other gods to feel like God's unconditional love is for them, but then he wants to rob Christians, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the king of that precious, precious bread. He makes sons and daughters feel like orphans. And there are so many questions. If you're a son of the king, then why is your son disabled? If you're a daughter of the king, then why are you still single? If you're, a, if you're adopted children, then why has miscarriage made its way into our lives? If God loves us, if He is for us, for us, if He is happy with us, then why do we feel so little of it? This last month, I took some time off uh, due to exhaustion, feeling just incredibly burnt out and uh, was looking forward to some rest and relaxation and instead spent the majority of those three, four weeks chasing medical diagnosis to my body breaking down again, only finding out that I have yet another chronic incurable disease, something I can't do anything about, something to add to the list. And I remember waking up once the anesthetic had worn off, just sitting there going, Really, God? Another one? Me? Haven't you seen the last five years? Haven't you seen what we've gone through? Haven't you seen how faithful we've been to you? Don't you know I've just had a son? Why would you do this? I think it leads us to a place where we ask the question, maybe God isn't all that trustworthy anyway. In fact, this whole series hinges on us being able to trust God, but God being for us, God being with us, God being gentle, God being in charge. They depend upon God being trustworthy. If he isn't trustworthy, they're at best a mirage and at worst manipulation. And as I prepared this sermon, I started out by writing a long list of what I wanted to say. A long defense of God's character, a long defense of God's trustworthiness, a long defense of God's goodness. And as I sat with it, as I edited, as I prayed, as I thought, I had these voices in my head that just found it less and less convincing. Until reason by reason, defense after defense came tumbling down until I really only had one thing left. It's this. God proves his own love for us 
in that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The passage, Romans 5 verse 8, says that God loves us, but it might as well say that God proves his trustworthiness. Why do I trust God? Because whilst I was still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for me. Don't get me wrong. I've read all the books. I've listened to the sermons. I've cried out to God. I've prayed. I've trusted. I've fasted. I've pleaded. I've clung to him. And every single time it comes back to this. God shows his love for us. And that whilst I was still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for me. Whilst you were still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for you. I can't look at the cross of Christ and not trust him. I can't look at the cross and not trust him because I'm just reminded of all of his promises that come true in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm reminded of Genesis 3.15, the very start of the Bible, when God promises to crush the the head of the serpent, the evil one, the one that leads Adam and Eve astray, the one that's responsible for sin and death and destruction. And in Jesus, he does it. And when I look upon the cross, I'm reminded of Revelation 21 and that glorious vision when there will be a day where there is no sickness, there is no death, there is no mourning, there is no brokenness anymore for the former things have passed away. And I'm reminded that in the cross of Christ, he secures it. When I look at the cross of Christ, I'm reminded of all of the promises that come true in Jesus. I can't help but trust him. I can't help but trust him. A couple of years back when Sarah and I first got married, we uh, were doing it pretty tough with our finances. Um, we were living week to week, really week to week, as in we were, we were, we were pretty skint. And um, I was out riding one day and uh, a derailleur on my bike broke, which is a pretty major part. And I remember sitting in bed that night just freaking out because I knew, I knew we couldn't afford a new one. I knew that uh, I wouldn't be able to ride and I knew that my health would uh, just, just flag away, that it would just waste away. And I was uh, what psychologists call catastrophizing. And I remember sitting in that bed and, and Sarah asked me a, a horrible question. She said, James, what's the gospel? And I, I tried to palm her off and said, no, no, I know the gospel. I know it. Yep, it's fine. And she said, no, 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 no. I need you to tell me the gospel. I said, well, Jesus died for me. Okay, and what does that mean? Well, because Jesus died for me, I can trust him. Why can you trust him? Well, Jesus died for me was the worst thing about me. That Jesus had to die for me was the very worst thing that could ever come true. Sarah says, so was he in charge then? Yes. Okay, is he in charge now? Yes. And it might seem like such a silly thing, Right? catastrophizing about a bike, but catastrophizing about a bike and hearing the answer of the gospel led to us doing the same thing when Sarah was diagnosed with cancer. And we did the same thing when after Sarah beat cancer, we weren't sure whether we'd be ever able to have kids as a result of chemotherapy. And we do the same thing every time something major comes up that makes us question whether God is really good, whether God is really for us, whether God is really trustworthy. 
in the cross of Christ, we find that God is trustworthy. And let me be, let me be clear. It is okay to have doubts. It is okay to have doubts. It is okay to doubt sometimes. The biblical authors doubted. What's not okay is that it's kept a secret. Secrets are what poison us. Secret doubt is what poisons us. In the last couple of months, I've read a book by Daniel Coyle called The Secret Race. He wrote it with a pro cyclist called Tyler Hamilton. Tyler Hamilton was a part of Lance Armstrong's team that was said to have the most professional, systematic doping regime in all of sports. They hid it from the authorities for up to 10 years. And Tyler Hamilton wrote this book with Coyle uh, as a tell-all, just in incredible detail about the lengths that they went to. And he has this line near the end of the book as he's starting to uh, talk about what he learned about this. I think it's profound. He says this, Secrets are poison. They suck the life out of you. They steal your ability to live in the present and they build walls between you and the people you love. Now that I've told the truth, I was tuning in to life again. Secrets are poison. Secret doubts are poisonous. It is okay to doubt. It is not okay to keep them as secrets. We need to do something with them, announce them, tell them, share them. They're not always bad. I love what George MacDonald says as well. A man may be haunted with doubts and only grow thereby in faith. Doubts are the messengers of the living one to the honest. They are the first knock at our door of things that are not yet but have to be understood. And I get it. I do. I'm, I've been there. The land of doubt feels so confusing. feels like there's no landmarks, nothing to guide us. So confusing, so overwhelming. It feels like there's just a fog that allows us not to see what lies ahead. But doubt might actually be the vehicle of God to bring us into deeper relationship. And that's why it's so important what we do with our doubt. It's so important what we do when we distrust God, when we're struggling with the trustworthiness of God. I said earlier that biblical authors struggle with it. It wasn't just something to be said. It's something that's reality. Just read Psalm 22, the opening verses. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance, from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I have no rest. This is a man in doubt, doubting the trustworthiness of God, doubting that God is coming through for him and he's calling upon him. God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from me? Why are you so far from saving me? God, I cry by day, you do not hear me. Where are you? Do you hear my prayers? By night I have no rest. Why are, where are you? Why am I not being refreshed? Why am I not being restored? This is not just any man. This is King David. This is a man crying out. And yet, do you notice the very first couple of words? Because this prayer of doubt, this song of questioning God is the kind of song, the kind of prayer that only a Christian can say. My God. 
my God, the God who is mine, I call upon you. I'm still calling out to you, even in my doubt, even in my dis-ease. I call to my God. He's bringing his doubt to God, not from God. Doubt is directional. It can lead you to God if you take it to him, but it can also lead you away from God. I love what happens in Psalm 77. This is a beautiful picture of someone directing their doubt to God, someone bringing their questions, their concerns, their qualms, their insecurities, all the reasons they have for distrusting God. Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all the generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? So I say, I am grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. But I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will remember, I will reflect on all you have done and meditate upon your actions. Doubt is directional. You can take it to God. And if you're struggling right now, that's okay. If you're struggling to trust God, that's okay. But meditate upon the cross. Meditate that whilst we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And do something with your doubt. Don't let it poison you. Don't let it just seep into your heart and build a wall between you and God. Because though my experience is fluctuating, though my emotions are up and down, though my lived day-to-day experience of life with God is up and down, all over the place, valleys and peaks. It's nothing compared to the evidence I have in the cross of Christ. And so I keep coming back to it. That in the cross of Calvary, God wrote in a huge permanent marker, I am trustworthy. if right now you're struggling to believe that, if right now you're struggling to trust God, let me encourage you to take your doubt to Him. Follow the, the example of Psalm 77 and bring it to Him. He's, he's not too small to hear your petitions, your prayers, your cries. But don't forget to remember what He has done. Don't forget to remember what He's done. Write down all the incredible things that God has done in your life. And if you're struggling to remember that, then write down all the incredible things that God has done in the life of his people, in the life of Israel, in the life of Jesus, in the life of his disciples, in the life of the church. Just write down all the ways that God has been faithful, all the ways that God has been trustworthy. And if you're struggling to even do that, just write down Romans 5 verse 8. God has shown his love for us. That whilst we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And if you're not in a season of doubt right now, that's great. Let me encourage you. You have a pivotal part to play in this as well. I love what Jude says, verses one, uh, chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Have mercy on those who doubt. For too long in the church, we have distrusted those who distrust God. 
We've cast them aside, left them to drown in their own insecurities, in their own questions. Let us not be like that. Let us enter that space with them and lovingly, kindly, patiently keep pointing to God. I remember uh, in, in when Sarah got cancer and I was out riding with a friend and I was just complaining and talking and venting and my friend just said, yep, those things are all true. But Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you, mate. And you can trust him. He's got this. God is trustworthy whether we feel it or not. And when we look at the cross of Christ, we can know for certain, even if our emotions are all over the place, that God is trustworthy. Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you. We thank you for your word that reveals you as trustworthy. We thank you that you say you are trustworthy. We thank you that we are shown you are trustworthy. And we thank you that in Jesus, we can know for certain that you are trustworthy. That your promises are fulfilled, signed, sealed, and delivered in the life, death, ascension, and resurrection of Jesus. God, many of us may be struggling to believe that is true. Are you with us? Send your spirit to fill us. May we be surrounded by people who remind us that God is good, that he is trustworthy. For those of us who are not in a season of doubt right now, give us eyes to see and hearts to love those who are struggling with the trustworthiness of God. May we surround them not with hatred or distrust or our own stuff, but rather with love, with kindness, with mercy, with patience. That we would point them gently to the love of God in Jesus. God, we need you. May you fill our lives. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said in one loud voice, Amen.